on the day of Pentecost. And tonight, we want to look at, in de- a little bit of detail, what happened on that day that the Spirit was given. What does it mean for you and I? Because a lot of times, you know, when we get into the Word, it's like, well, that was great for them, but what does that mean for you and I? And then I want to finish by looking at the responses. There were five different responses given here to the outpouring of the Spirit. And that also has a lot to say to us tonight as well. I just want to read these verses and then I want to share with you tonight what happened, what does it mean, and what are the responses. And you'll see these as we go along. Acts chapter 2, verse 1. Now when the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a violent wind blowing came from heaven and filled the entire house where they were sitting. And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven residing in Jerusalem. When this sound occurred, a crowd gathered and was in confusion because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Completely baffled, they said, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each one of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and the province of Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, near Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. Both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own language about the great deeds God has done. All were astounded and greatly confused, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others jeered at the speakers, saying, They are drunk on new wine. Now remember something. What is happening here is based on a promise. So what is happening here is the fulfillment of a promise that Jesus gave. Remember back in chapter 1 and verse 4. Jesus told his followers, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait there for what my Father promised, which you heard about from me. This is what's happening. The fulfillment of a promise from God. What does this mean to us? It reminds us that God fulfills His promises. I want you to remember that tonight. This is a a fulfillment of a promise. And God will always fulfill His promises. He is always trustworthy, dependable, and reliable. All His promises are yes in Jesus Christ. And we see that happening here tonight. Whatever promises you are clinging to, whatever promises you are hoping in tonight, you can fully hope in those promises because God will fulfill His Word. Pentecost. Pentecost literally means 50th. It happened 50 days exactly after Passover. So there was Passover and then 50 days later was Pentecost. Why did God want the Jews, to celebrate Pentecost. Well, Pentecost happened around our March or April. It was the beginning of harvest. And so what Pentecost signified was this. Some people called Pentecost first fruits because what it was signifying was there is a much bigger harvest to come. 
This is just the beginning. That's what it would signify. And it was a celebration that what they were beginning to get in from the fields, oh, there was a whole big bunch more back there that was going to come in later. Now, how significant at this time, because what God was saying is what I'm doing right now is just the beginning of a greater harvest. Because remember, he wants his gospel to go into all the world and he wants people from all nations to be saved through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this group that has started now here in Jerusalem is just the beginning of a great harvest. Can I tell you, as the pastor of the Oasis Church, one of the exciting things that I believe God is doing with us and what he has sort of given me insight into is what we, are, what we have done in the first seven and a half years of our church is just the beginning. There's a greater harvest spiritually to come. And I can't wait to be a part of what God wants to do even with us. This is what it can mean for us, you see. And, and it can always mean that because... With God, there's always something greater to come. Right? That's the way we need to look at it. I mean, that's even true of our salvation. I mean, even though we have salvation and we're going to heaven when we die and we've got our sins forgiven, we've got a relationship with God and all these great things, even the Bible says that the greatest stuff is yet to come when God glorifies us gives us a body just like His glorious body, and when He takes us to be with Him for all of eternity, and we have a residence with God in glory. That's why Paul said, I don't even reckon in Romans 8.18 that the sufferings of this world will be able to compare to the glory that will be revealed to us one day. The best is yet to come. There's greater things to come. And God wants you and I to believe that as individuals and as a church. There's greater things that He wants to do in us and in our church. And that's one of the things that was happening here. Pentecost always signified there was more to come. Notice something else here. What was taking place here was the sovereign activity of of God. It was all God's doing. There was nothing that man was doing to bring it about, to manipulate or whatever. In fact, the word suddenly at the beginning of verse 2 shows us that this was very unexpected. Yes, they were to wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out, but they didn't really even know what that meant. They didn't know how God was going to do it. They didn't know exactly the time. They were just waiting. Again, what's this mean for us? It's the same thing today. We're not waiting for the Holy Spirit. We already have Him if, you, if we're a Christian, but we are waiting for the Lord to come back to take us to be with him. Because he said, I'll go and prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. We're waiting for the fulfillment of that promise. And we don't know exactly when it's going to happen. But as we talked about last week, we can do things while we're waiting for the Lord to come. We don't know exactly how and all of that. We don't know all the details any more than they did. So this wasn't something that they brought about. This was something that God chose to do. And when God chooses to do something, it's not going to fit into our box. (laughs) We're going to see that in just a moment. What did God do? Well, first of all, notice verse 1 They were all together in one place. That was something that's been emphasized since we started this study in Acts chapter 1. 
They were at the same place at the same time. There was this unity and they were being strengthened by staying together and meeting together. They were praying. They were worshiping. They were singing. They, they, were, they were looking into the scriptures. These were the things that they were doing. And this again is something that it means something for us in that God wants His people today to come together and do the things that He has called us to do. Now look at how the Holy Spirit here is manifested at this point. Verse 2. Suddenly a sound, a noise, a roar, like a violent, a strong, a mighty wind blowing from heaven filled the entire house where they were sitting. One of the things I want us to note here tonight is that even though God is invisible, that when God moves in and amongst His people and when the Holy Spirit moves, there is sensory perception. There are things that we will hear, things that we will see, things that we will feel. God wants His people to experience Him in that way. That's part of the reason why we were made in God's image and we were given the ability to hear and to see and to touch and to feel because God wants to meet us at that level too. Yes, God is that still small voice that will come into our life and speak to us in, in a very, you know, internal way and witness with our spirit, if you will. He certainly does that. But there are other times in our life where he wants to move in in such a, a, a powerful way, in, in such a, a way that we can really sense him. And that's what's happening here. It's a, it's a mighty wind. Interestingly, too, both in the Hebrew and Greek language, the word for wind, the word for breath, and the word for spirit is all the same word. They're sort of interchangeable in the Bible. Now, obviously, the Holy Spirit is God and is set apart from just wind or breath, but that's one of the symbols of the Holy Spirit, is wind or breath. And the reason this is significant is because it is reminding us, first of all, that this is the Holy Spirit coming, but this is also the power of God coming to us through the Holy Spirit. Remember what Jesus said back in Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And my friends, you and I can't even imagine when they were sitting there silent in that room, what it must have felt like when all of a sudden, suddenly, very unexpectedly, it would be just like tonight if those doors just flew open here and this violent mighty strong wind came whipping through here and just sort of blowing us all around. That's what they felt. And they were experiencing the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And it was something that was discernible to them, you see. And notice... It came from above, from heaven, and it filled. It permeated the entire house where they were sitting. This is something extraordinary. This is something supernatural. And what is God doing here with the Holy Spirit, with the very breath and wind of God? He is beginning to create a new creation. Think about it. What do you have in the book of Genesis? In chapter 1. 
in chapter 2. You have God breathing into man the breath of life and bringing man to life through his very breath, through the very wind of God. What is God doing here in the early chapters of Acts? He is creating now a new man. He's creating his church. He's creating a new creation now. He's sort of recreating again. And what's he doing? He's breathing. He's bringing his wind into the people of God so that you and I, again, don't have to live by our own power now. We can live by the power of God that always resides within us. And he wants to show them that this is no ordinary power. This is my power, God says. Stronger, mightier than any force And that's why it literally filled and shook that house where they were. He wanted to show them, this is the power that will reside in you, that you can live by and be my witnesses through every day that you live. What does that mean for us? Same thing. God wants to remind us, we have that same power. That same mighty, strong wind and breath that we literally can breathe in and breathe out of every day. And that God resides in us and we can live in that power and by that power and through that power every day. Never forget that. The mighty, strong wind and breath of God is within you, my friend. And you have that power available to you. Then notice. Then tongues... This is an instrument of the body, symbolic of speech. Why is that significant? Because Jesus specifically said, I'm going to send my Holy Spirit to you to empower you to do what? To be my witnesses. It was going to be through the verbalization and vocalization of the gospel that people would be saved. Paul said, God chose the foolishness of preaching to save those who will believe. How can they call on one unless they have heard. So it comes with tongues. Now, I do want to say this at this point. Luke is doing the best that he can with what is taking place here. Because I want you to notice a very important word that he uses twice. He used it in verse 2 about the wind, and he uses it now in verse 3 about the tongues of fire. Notice he says, verse 2, suddenly a sound like a violent wind. Then notice verse 3, and tongues spreading out like a fire. He's doing the best that he can. This is happening, and he's trying to describe what is happening as best he can, but he's not able to totally comprehend nor articulate it. And we'll get to that in just a moment, too. Because what God does when God does it isn't explainable. We're not always able to wrap our minds around it. God wants us to experience it, accept it, receive it, trust in it, but not always be able to explain every detail of it. And that was certainly true here as well. He's doing the best that he can. These tongues were spreading out like a fire, Fire which transforms and and it purifies. And that's what God was doing. He wanted to light a fire in His people. And especially, He wanted to affect their speech. 
And tongues spreading out like a fire appeared to them and came to rest to settle on each one of them. Now there's something else here beyond just why the use of fiery tongues. Fire is also a symbol of not just the the purifying uh, power of God, but the purifying and, and very presence of God in the Bible. And so you have here the wind that represents his power, and now you have these tongues of fire which represent his presence. Go back to, again to the Old Testament, to the book of Exodus. When God was leading his people out, he led them at night by a pillar of what? Fire. Fire. And I think what God is saying here, through what is happening here, this this manifestation of His very presence and glory in this room upon His people is that my power will be with you and my presence will be forever with you from this moment on because the Holy Spirit of God will now come and indwell you. And you will always have my presence with you and you will always have my power with you. And as His presence dwells in you, it's not only going to give you power it, 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 to, to encourage, to be able to articulate, but it's going to really affect your speech. You and I know when we are under the control of the Holy Spirit by our speech. Does not the Bible teach that? Does not the Bible even in James say that how do you know a spiritual person? Primarily by their speech because he says in chapter 3, Every human being has tamed almost everything in the world except the tongue. Only God can tame a human's tongue. And so the Bible teaches us that that when the Holy Spirit is in control and His fire is within us, not only will we be witnesses and be willing to be courageous witnesses and tell other people about Jesus when those opportunities are open to us through the Holy Spirit, but it will affect how we talk about others and to others at all times. We're going to talk a little bit more about that on Sunday in our message from Jude. Notice something else. The outpouring of the Spirit was not exclusive. It included everyone. Don't miss the end of verse 3 and verse 4. These tongues spreading out like fire came to rest on each One of them. Verse 4. All of them. There was no picking and choosing. When God chose to pour out His Holy Spirit, He poured it out on every believer in that house. Every one of them received the Holy Spirit. Not just certain ones. And I believe that that is true today that every true believer in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit. Notice also the word filled in verse 4. This expresses totality and implies full quantity. In other words, again, when God filled those people with His Holy Spirit, there was no more capacity within a human being for the Holy Spirit to fit, in other words. He gave us all that He could of Himself. He poured Himself into us, into these human vessels, as much as He possibly could. 
The question is never, can I get more of God? If you and I are a believer in Jesus Christ, we have been given, we have been filled with the Holy Spirit. The question is, how much of us does God have? And that's why the Bible equates us as the temple of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians and in Romans. Because a temple has rooms. And throughout our life, our sanctification is us giving more rooms of our life over to the control of God rather than keeping control of those rooms ourselves. Unlocking those doors of certain rooms in our life and turning them over and surrendering them to God. That's what the Christian life is all about. Not gaining more of God, but God getting more of us. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. God flooded into their being, and there was immediate evidence of it. Again, that has meaning for us. I don't see how any person today, biblically, can claim, I have God in my life, but there's no evidence. The Bible teaches if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. Old things will start passing away. All things will become new. When God floods into a person's soul, there will be evidence of it. And that was certainly true here. Now notice, the specific thing that was happening here was that they began to speak in other languages. And that notice in verse 6 and verse 8, people were now able to hear the great deeds of God in their own language. What was happening? It was as though there was a reversal of the curse of Babel that was taking place at Pentecost. Remember Babel? Back in Genesis, people were coming together and all they were doing when they came together was devising ways that they could sin more. So God says, I'm going to separate you and I'm going to drive you away from each other through different languages and dialects. And that was the Tower of Babel. And so forever after that point, people were separated due to language barriers. Now all of a sudden at Pentecost, because God wants to get the good news of His Son, Jesus Christ, out to the world, because that's what He said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. God now is at the beginning of the church age. He is reversing the curse of, of, of Babel, and He's allowing now His people to be able to have the ability to speak languages that they never could before. It'd be like all of a sudden... Pastor Jeff started to speak eloquent Spanish. Arlene would be impressed. If Nellie or Miguel was here, they'd be impressed. Like, wow, Pastor Jeff actually, you know, can do that. That's what was happening here at Pentecost. And notice the Bible says in verse 4, as the Spirit enabled them. God is giving them a visual picture that the power of God will be manifested through their speaking. And it's like God now is turning on this enormous resource of divine power in their life. Think of it like a, a dam. 
And all of a sudden, you know, this, this, this dam that, that is backed up that can be such an energy source now is being released, all that, that water and stuff, to be able to, to turn the turbines and to, you know, get the electricity going. That's what happens in a believer's life when the Holy Spirit comes in. All of a sudden now we have this enormous, unlimited resource of divine power. And it is the Spirit of God that will enable us to do and say and live and whatever God asks of us to do. We never have to do it on our own. The Spirit of God is always there now because His presence is always there. And He will enable us at all times to do whatever He's asking us to do. Now, yes... He wants to light a fire in us through the Holy Spirit and He hopes that we will continue to fan the flame that He has put within us in His Holy Spirit. But we know that the Bible teaches that sometimes that flame can start to go out. We can grieve. We can quench the Holy Spirit of God and we can dampen that flame. And so one of the other things here by this tongues of fire is that God wants us to make sure that that flame in us is always burning hot and bright for him. This is some of what is happening here and what it means for us. But in closing tonight, I I want us to see five different responses to what was going on. And you see these in five different words that Luke chooses to use. The first one is in verse 6. It's the word in the Net Bible, confusion. It means to be confounded or bewildered. Then if you go down to verse 7, the word baffled there, completely baffled, means to be awestruck, to be astonished, or astounded. That's another response. Then in verse 12, the word astounded can also mean to be beside themselves or flabbergasted. And then the word confused in verse 12 means perplexed or at a loss. And finally, verse 13, the word jeered means to scoff or ridicule, to make light of something or to literally make fun of it. Now, the reason I wanted to end with these responses is because anytime God moves, anytime God reveals himself to us in any way, God expects a response. And there's proper responses and non-proper responses to God revealing and moving himself. And not all of these are improper. I mean, one of the cool things here that I want us to see is that sometimes when God moves in such a way, people are just like, what just happened? And we are totally at a loss. We are just sort of dumbfounded as to explain it or what. That's okay. Because the last thing that we as the people of God need to do is to try to always have God move in a way or manifest himself in a way that we can totally comprehend, wrap our minds around, and grasp. I want a God that is so great and so big, I can't always explain him. And I want a God that is so great and so majestic and so wonderful that he can do things in my life and in our church that we just sit there and go, wow, God, what do we say? I'm in awe. And so that, that's okay. That, that's what I, 
don't always feel like you have to try to explain God. And yet many times our mistake is that we try to bring God down to our level. We try to bring Him down to explainable terms. We try to put Him in our box. And then when God begins to move outside that box, then that just freaks us out. Can you imagine? I think their box was destroyed here in Acts chapter 2. Whatever box they had God in, it was not a box that contained you know, wind coming through and whipping through a room and tongues of fire falling on all of them and them having the ability to speak in other languages and all of these things. And this is not the box that they had designed for their God to work in. And all I'm saying as a church and as individuals is if we're going to be open to the Holy Spirit, then we've got to be open to the fact that we won't always be able to control Him. And we've got to allow Him to do what He as God wants to do. And maybe at times, it is outside our comfort zone or outside of our box. We've got to be willing to go there. And not always be able to explain it. Sometimes just sit in awe of God and say, God, you're just amazing. You're just amazing. But then we also see in this passage the hardness of a human heart. That in spite of what they saw and what they heard and what they experienced, that last reaction there in verse 13, they made light of it. They made fun of it. They scoffed at it. They tried to find another explanation, a natural explanation. Oh, these people are just drunk. They've just had too much to drink too early in the day. That's why they're acting that way. And that's many times what people will do whenever God manifests Himself and they can't explain it and it doesn't fit into their spiritual religious box that they've created for God to work in and so they just dismiss it and make light of it and make fun of it. And that's not a good response. As you and I move into this new season for our church. I truly believe that the Holy Spirit wants to come in and move in our church in a mightier and in a greater way than He even has in these first seven and a half years. And He's moved and He's worked. But I think He wants to take us as a church and us as individuals up to a whole other level with God. And if we are going to be part of that, then we have to learn something from what's happening here. Not that God's going to duplicate Pentecost. Pentecost will never be duplicated again in that exact same way. But God is looking for people and groups of people who are willing to have the Holy Spirit come in upon them in such a way that He can move and He can work and He can work in a way that's outside their box, outside their comfort zone, in an unexplainable way and that they're just going to go, God, just... Keep on taking us where you want to take us. I'm not going to fight you on this. I'm not going to struggle against you. I'm not going to try to bring you down to our level and make you do what I want you to do. I'm going to let you be God. And I'm going to let you manifest your power and your presence in my life the way you choose to do it. And I'm going to let you grab a hold of me and my life and my heart and my mind the way you want to do it. And I'm going to let you motivate me and inspire me and, and, and get my attention the way you want to do it. 
That's what Pentecost means to me. I hope we can take this defining moment in spiritual history. I mean, what's taking place here in Acts chapter 2 is right up there with with creation, with the incarnation, with crucifixion, with the ascension of Jesus. It's right up there. It's that important. And I hope we can take this very defining moment in in our spiritual history and we can see that this still has meaning for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that as we learn about the Holy Spirit, as we see Him move and work and come in, whether it's as a mighty wind, the very breath of God, whether it's as with tongues of fire that settle upon individuals and enables them to speak in other languages, God, whatever it is, I pray, God, that we would not quench or grieve your Holy Spirit in any way, but that we would be open to the leading and guiding and direction of the Holy Spirit of God. We can't always explain you. You won't always fit into our box or our comfort zone. But God, you love us, and you always have our very best interests at heart. And I pray tonight, Lord, that just like these folks, that we would just continue to gather together and wait on you and see you do what you want to do with us. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. See you two more weeks.